This is Jonah Jameson. Roger. Over. Did you see that? The spider signal! This could be the most dangerous night of my life. And yours. With my anti-gravity cabin, even Spider-Man won't be able to stop me. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode, attraction by attraction. I am your host, Eduardo. I am joined by two of our regular co-hosts. we got Robbie here. We've got Chris here. Peaches is off doing peach things. I hear he might actually get a tattoo. Who knows? But in his stead, making her triumphant return, it's Angela. Angela, what's going on? I am not getting a tattoo. <laughs> uh, Angela, we haven't talked to you uh, in a little while. How have you been? How are things? Things are good. Yeah, okay. uh, been enjoying watching the uh, the wrap-up of Loki along with y'all and oh. Black Widow. Excited for, uh, for our little chat here since we've all been kind of teasing it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and for those of you... We could probably set the expectations for the episode. We're going to get into some other stuff before we actually get into the meat. But to set everyone's expectations from the beginning, um, everyone who has probably literally ever been involved with this podcast also has a second passion that none of us have ever blatantly said, I don't think, uh, but has probably come up a few times. Uh, We are all huge theme park nerds. Yeah, mm-hmm. every single if, one of us. <laughs> if you think we were nerds about the Marvel movies, you have no idea what's coming for you. <laughs> we are probably, at least a few of us, probably much more nerdy about the theme park stuff than the Marvel stuff. Right, and you, which is really funny because we are super nerdy about well, the Marvel I know, Marvel we're stuff. bad yeah. about that. <laughs> I was organizing our coffee table books the other day because we just moved and I'm like putting stuff on shelves and... I couldn't fit all the Disney books we have on one shelf. <laughs> Not about Disney movies. They are about They're all Disney parks. parks. Yep. Um, I mean, if we look around this room here, I mean, I could move the camera and you can see uh, two droids from Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, we got um, one over here too. We've got three Haunted Mansion action figures. Oh, I've got a... I've got a Haunted Mansion pop figure right there. I've got a DJ Rex pop figure bobblehead here. I got my credit from uh, Galaxy's Edge. Oh, my yeah. Galaxy's Edge wooden Darth Vader doll is sitting on my desk. Oh, I I have a wooden Thrawn, although he's... Uh, oh, my wooden I, Thrawn is on I my have an, uh, bedside I haven't unpacked my wooden Thrawn yet. My wooden Thrawn is on the bedside table. So, so yeah. yeah. We, are, we are passionate about theme parks, so uh, we're very privileged today to be talking about the amazing adventures of Spider-Man, uh, a very, very near and dear crossover of our two worlds, our Marvel world and our love of theme parks. Before we do that, We've got a couple emails to read. Wow. Yeah. No, it's pretty crazy. Uh, first one, excuse me, comes from patron Daniel. Uh, <laughs> the subject line is urgent. And it says, <laughs> hello, when are you covering the Hyundai Disney Plus crossover commercials? I think they are very important to the canon of the MCU. He then lists YouTube links to each of these uh, commercials. And then he says, regards, 
patron, Daniel. Thanks for the episode idea, Danny. Did did you guys uh did you guys end up watching any of these? I've seen the Loki. No, I've seen I've seen all of them. I've seen them on TV. But yeah, I the only ones that I think I've like closely watched. I remember the Loki one and the Falcon of the Winter Soldier one for the very important reveal of another previous MCU character, uh, the guy from the Apple Store, oh, <laughs> yeah. Winter Soldier. Right. I just want Hyundai to bring back Chris Evans saying "Smart Pack." Smart. That's yeah. That was oh, a, right. And then another uh, great was it John Krasinski. Person. So thank you, Patron Daniel, for your very important and insightful email. Thank you for we, bringing this to our attention. We appreciate your patronage. What happens in the Wandavision commercial? Uh, not a lot. She just like like the car is all in black and white, and it's like tiny in her hand. And then she's got like an old car behind her, and then she makes the old car into the new Hyundai, and then everything turns into color. Oh wow! That's it. Normally, you have to get pregnant before that happens. I, I wish that these were the actual like commercials inside like they just threw product placement in there and they were like let's just throw a hyundai commercial in the middle of wandavision yeah we did get another email by a new listener Lindsay. i hope i'm saying that correctly uh, <laughs> she says hello assembly required social media maven and then she continues to write <laughs> one of the longest emails i've ever read very, very which is awesome it's no it's yes. great you gotta <laughs> let me finish it's very wonderfully written. Uh, she she makes a lot of really interesting points. We're just going to go over some, uh, so, so, some background notes here. First, she wants to say how impressed she is with the sound quality. So, you know, big ups to you, Sound Lord. Thank you, Lindsay. Just, um, just wait until I actually get good at it. <laughs> or at least somewhat better at it. Hopefully we've done a better job. I think they gave us a few little criticisms here. Uh, one of them being we didn't do a good job at the beginning uh, introducing some of our hosts. So hopefully we've gotten a little better at that. To set the stage a little bit, they've only really uh, listened to the phase one podcast that we have done. So they're on to phase two now. Hopefully we'll get another email and a little report uh, when that's done. Um, they don't really remember too much of the MCU. They've seen a few of the movies, but n- not too many of them. And they don't really kind of remember anything that happened. So they're it's almost like they're going in fresh. Um, the first thing they wanted to say was, I guess it wasn't the first thing because I've already said the first thing they wanted to say. The next thing they wanted to say was that this is a Peaches stand email because they found themselves agreeing with Peaches quite a lot. Um, they did not really care for the first two Iron Man movies. And maybe I shouldn't say they, because this is written from uh, the writer's perspective and not the writer's, who I believe is her sister, uh, who is also, I, I know it's her sister. I'm just being funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who is her sister that is also watching these with her. But Lindsay's perspective is that these are military garbage. Can't disagree with that. Um, <laughs> and she thinks that we should have given more attention to Peach's Obadiah Stain quote. Do you really think just because you have an idea it belongs to you. Fair criticism. Okay. I hope as she listens on, we get better. Well, we just dropped favorite quotes, so it never comes up again. <laughs> That's, <it. laughs> That's how it gets better. Unfortunately, she did not see my appreciation for the <laughs> critically acclaimed film, The Incredible Hulk. Uh, Sad. Yeah, she she wasn't a fan of Edward Norton. 
I get it. Uh, she is a big fan of Mark Ruffalo. Once again, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she just, uh, she kind of agreed with Peaches again that Banner shouldn't have been like a superhero kind of running around doing parkour and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> uh, Thor, uh, she thinks the movie is horribly paced. Once again, agreeing with uh, Peaches. And I think she has a problem generally with a lot of these early movies. Um, yeah, the I female think, characters just kind of being yeah, Jane, boring, you know. Not yeah, really. I think uh, Captain America First Avenger being the exception for her, and I think mm-hmm. because it is the exception. It's Peggy Carter. Right. <laughs> she does bring up an interesting point in her Captain America little, little section here. Uh, we mentioned the Howling Commandos several times. I think we do tend to mention names that are from the comic books because we are comic people. Uh, mm-hmm. But they did not know who the Howling Commandos were. They didn't really even know who War Machine was because these names are never said in the movies. I think this is a point mm-hmm. I brought up with Black Widow uh, during yeah. the Black Widow episode. That they don't really call the heroes by their hero name. They just call them by their first name. Almost everyone is their first name, except Captain America gets called Cap sometimes. But besides <laughs> that, everyone else is just their name. I mean, you even have that famous joke in Infinity War where he says, oh, we're using our made-up names now. Like... Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's something we can be more uh, cognizant of. And probably the most important part of this entire email, when she's talking about the Avengers, I'm going to read this verbatim here. Also, Eduardo is correct. <laughs> the helicarrier is boring. Gray and boring. And if that just doesn't say it all right there... <laughs> See, I thought the most important part was that so the, y'all didn't bash, bash Joss Whedon enough. <laughs> I mean, that that is another important part. He Maybe I'm doing it again and I'm not either. bashing him enough this time, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, if, uh, if anybody listening to this didn't already know uh, our stance on Josh Whedon the, as a podcast, let me just say it now. Fuck Joss Whedon. So <laughs> He's not good. Yeah. So that's how we feel he about Batman. <laughs> they also listen to the Sound Lord family speculation spectacular. God, say that 10 times fast. No, thank you. They want you guys specifically to go back, Sound Family, and listen to it and see if some of your, your predictions ended up panning out. I, I, one thing we were wrong about was anything coming out last year. So. Uh... <laughs> Uh, we've also got some rankings here. We'll start with Leah, uh, who ranked the Avengers number one. Captain America, the first Avenger, as the second one for her. Thor, Iron Man 2, Iron Man, and then the Incredible Hulk bringing up the rear. For Lindsay, it starts off with the Avengers once again, then becomes Thor. She writes that it would be her number one because she prefers fantasy sci-fi portion of the MCU, but the Jane character was a flop. Also, Mark Ruffalo is in the Avengers. <laughs> Good points all around. Yeah, uh, two two points that I cannot disagree with, and I cannot disagree with their merit. Uh, then it's Iron Man 2. Uh, she did not need to consult an oracle to follow this movie. Uh, has less <laughs> traditional military footage than Captain America or Iron Man. The drones were at least <laughs> colorful. Uh, then it goes Captain America, the first Avenger, Iron Man, and then the Incredible Hulk. You know, and it's it's funny to hear somebody else say this, but that's something that we said when we also first watched, not first, but when we started doing the um, the rewatch, a lot of these earlier movies are kind of filled to the brim with military propaganda, and it yep. doesn't feel like that's mm-hmm. how they are anymore, but at the beginning, yep. they absolutely were. Yep, yep. that's correct. Yeah. 
It's like they got away from it and they're like, but here's Captain Marvel. Okay, we're done again. Yeah. Honestly, I think both of them, I feel like I'm on the same page with both of them except for Iron Man 2. That's fine. You can go ahead and enjoy Iron Man 2 more. Than you can enjoy uh, I, whatever I, you want. It, yes. It's, right. it's good for people to enjoy things. Yes, it's good for people to enjoy things. And it's good for people to still put the Avengers number one, even though the helicarrier is super boring. Absolutely. Except for that last thing you said. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you Lindsay from Orlando, Florida it's yeah thank you Lindsay for sending us this email and we are waiting with bated breath for the phase 2 email that we are sure to get yeah no please please, please do this every phase she's going to get really <laughs> mad at me over all of your takes. Home. no homecoming she's going to get mad at me <laughs> over homecoming probably yes yes. she's she going to be real mad the peaches isn't in that episode <laughs> <laughs> Now, Angela, before we move on to talking all about the ride and all that stuff, uh, what'd you think about the last kind of few things that happened? We had Loki finish up. We had Black Widow come out. What'd you think about those things? I enjoyed them both. Um, I thought Loki's finale was really cool. Like, I thought it was really different in, you know, how it kind of, it was more, I don't want to say laid back. That's not the right word, but it wasn't. You know, we're used to a finale of anything, of a movie or a show um, being this kind of big bombastic thing and all these crazy things happen uh, and lots of, you know, fighting, probably some big fight and, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, actually, that's the stuff we got in the episode right before it. And um, the fact that they took the risk of let's just introduce Kang or his variant and just have a sit down with him, just let him talk, um, was really bold and it worked. I think it worked. I enjoyed it. I find him fascinating. I think, you know, the fact that he was kind of sort of a nice guy, even though, you know, he says we're all villains here, but that almost made it even creepier thinking about what's to come and what his variants are going to be like. And the fact that he's scared of his variants, um, specifically Kang the Conqueror, you know, and then ending the whole episode with, you know, that very, um, that huge statue of Kang at the end and Loki realizing what's happening. And I'm assuming that he's in an alternate timeline, you know, since Mobius didn't recognize him. And it was very like a planet of the apes kind of ending there. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, there were probably a few things I was disappointed about with the finale, um, just because, you know, I just wanted to know more. Like, they, there were so many questions that some of them were answered, but a lot were left unanswered, especially about Ravona Renslayer. But I also didn't know for sure that there was going to be a season two. Like, I think I'd heard talk about it, but, you know, it wasn't officially confirmed until that after credit scene. Um, so, you know, initially I felt disappointed about some of the stuff we didn't find out, but then, you know, since we're getting a season two, we are going to get answers. Like there, there's going to be more. And I think that's really cool. Whereas, you know, like the season finale of WandaVision, as much as I love WandaVision and I think it is my top out of the three shows, like just right above Loki, you know, there were a few things I found disappointing about the WandaVision finale, but that's a little different because... We're not getting any more WandaVision. So, so yeah, I was very pleased with the Loki finale. And, you know, with Black Widow, I thought it was a good time. I was impressed that they did a standalone movie and it really had no bearing on anything else. They weren't trying to set anything else up except for, obviously, 
you know, the after credit scene with Val and um, introducing Yelena as the next Black Widow, like, I guess that's the thing they were setting up. But like, this movie very much was just a cool spy action, you know, adventure movie. And, um, you know, it kind of sucks that our Black Widow, the Black Widow we've watched the last 10, 11 years, it was supposed to be her movie, but it kind of wasn't her movie. <laughs> it was Yelena's movie. Um, Cause we were all just fixated on her and, um, and because Nat had died, you know, or is about to die, like, it's hard to get attached or be too invested in what's going on with her because it's like, yeah, but she's gonna die. So let's, let's think about Yelena because she's cool. And, you know, think about what's next for her and everything. So wasn't wouldn't be anywhere near my top of MCU films, but I enjoyed it. I thought it had some cool themes. I loved the intro with the montage and the the song playing over it. <laughs> um, I thought that was neat. So, yeah, good stuff. It's hard to be invested in Natasha when Yelena is over there being invested. <laughs> uh, oh my god. How long were you pocketing that joke? Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, WandaVision's a good thing to bring up because I think uh, I think we brought it up on the podcast, but some of the action at the end of WandaVision, in some eyes, felt like it 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 took away a little bit from the uh, the emotional depth of what you were getting from the other parts of the finale. Mm-hmm. Whereas it felt like Loki really took a swing by not having the typical Marvel fanfare finale of you know fights and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, my one big like complaint about the WandaVision finale was I just feel like we got really screwed over with the Ralph Boner thing. (laughs) I was so mad about that. I didn't care about the Mephisto crap. I just really wanted some connection with Quicksilver from the Fox films. And because I love Evan Peters and, and how he does that role. So like, I was really hoping for a connection there. And they didn't do it. And I'm hoping maybe because I feel like no window is ever truly closed in the MCU that, and especially now that the multiverse is happening, um, they might, there, there's, there might be more with him coming and, you know, just have to wait for it. But especially in the age that we live in with, you know, the internet and sort of this idea of you got to do, you gotta, you gotta strike while the iron is hot type of thing. You know, I'm sure Disney saw the reaction to Evan Peters playing Quicksilver in the Marvel, you know, the MCU, and we're probably a little shocked with just how into it everyone was. I think mm-hmm. even us on the show, we can be accused maybe of times, and I think it's a good criticism of being like, well, the casual fan won't enjoy this thing, or the casual fan won't enjoy this. But to be honest, if you've stuck through Marvel, through all of these films, you're not the casual fan anymore. Like you, you, you are, you know, a diehard MCU fan and you know about these things. So I think there are a few times where we can maybe come across a little bit as like, Oh, well the casuals aren't going to enjoy this. But I think at this point there aren't too many casuals quote unquote left. There are people that just kind of just enjoy this stuff. And they're as much in the know as we are. Yeah. I think when we say casual fan, I think it's like my parents who watched Endgame and nothing. I think maybe Captain America before that. Um, they watched a few epi- They watched a few episodes of WandaVision, not really in order. 
Um, yeah, it's so. And uh, but here's the thing: they also enjoyed all of that. So yeah. good like, for them. <laughs> well, and that's so it's so interesting you say that because I feel like that's how TV used to be before the age of of on yes. demand. I would turn on a show, I would watch a random episode of something. I used to do. Mm-hmm. I did this with Angel. The the. God, mm. that asshole Joss Whedon. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. That show. Uh, but I would watch a few episodes and be like, what is happening here? I don't know what's going on, but I'm captivated by this. And it made yep. me want to go back and kind of watch it. I didn't actually fully watch all of Angel until several years later after I had watched them way out of order all over the place. And I'm mm-hmm. sure your parents are probably still in that uh, mindset yeah. of just, yeah. Yeah, just put on whatever. We'll get there. Yeah. Which is until- what Peaches was talking about last right. week. Right. Um, until Lost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I know that's not what we meant, but now that you say that, I see how he got that from what we said. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Lost is like the first TV show for me that I watched. And I didn't watch Lost all the way through, but in terms of I watched the first episode and then watched it in order from then. And on top of that, the reason I didn't finish Lost is because I missed one week. And back then it was hard. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I will just find it on the internet or play it. So I missed that week and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm done. I will not be watching Lost anymore because I missed one week. It's over for me. It's so. Yeah. Yeah. It's really in the last 20 years or so. I mean, serialized TV has always existed, but it's almost always been confined, like for the longest time, it was confined to like mm-hmm. soap operas mm-hmm. and dramas. Uh, but even the serialized dramas, it was, you know, relationship changes here and there. Right. And granted, sitcoms had, like, serialized elements. If you look at, like, Friends or Frasier or, you know, any of those shows in the 90s, a lot of them had arcs, story arcs. But it's really, like, in the last 20 years uh, with, you know, so-called peak TV that they're really, you know, looking at TV as long-form storytelling. Right. Right. We're about to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode Before we do that, let's take a message from our sponsor. Do you wish you could spend more time with the Assembly Required crew? How about a watch-along? Maybe a game of Jackbox. Maybe even a board game night. All of this could be yours simply by going over to patreon.com slash assemblyrequired, where you too can join our patron-only Discord, have first access to our immediate takes on all Marvel happenings, and spend time with us on our monthly community nights, which we just had with the Jackbox Party Pack. Once again, if this, if this sounds like a good time to you, patreon.com slash assembly required. And remember, we love you 3000. And we're back. All right, guys. <laughs> you guys need a jingle. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, once again, we're talking all about the amazing adventures of Spider-Man. Robbie... Uh, let's let's hit us with some some good old fashioned production and and conception history. Yeah, so um, we're we're gonna treat this like this ride is a movie, guys. So here's our background on the production and release. Well, Universal uh, Studios uh, always used to say ride the movies. That yeah, was right. Very good. So, yeah. um, but we're now we're moving the ride. But the uh, the origin of the attraction is kind of interesting. So in the early 90s, uh, Universal began looking for plans to expand a second theme park on their Orlando property. They were hoping to find an agreement with DC Warner uh, to create a DC superhero land in the park, which, by the way, side note, 
Uh, well, a couple side notes. Um, the first side note is at this point in my life, so this is the early 90s, I was actually an annual pass holder at Six Flags Over Texas, which had DC attractions. Although when I say DC attraction, it's a roller coaster where they put like a Batman logo at the entrance of the mm -hmm. roller coaster. But, you know. I remember um, that. I went yeah. to the Six Flags in New Jersey, <laughs> right? Uh, like on field trips, and they had those Batman and Robin coaster. Wasn't there like a dueling coaster or something? Yeah, yeah there was, there was, stuff there was, like there was a Superman coaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was like um, really no. I think there's a Bizarro roller coaster now. Right. Oh, where wow. It goes backwards. I might so be six, wrong. Six but... Flags Over Texas did have a. First off, they had a theater playing Mask of the Phantasm. So I got to see Mask of the Phantasm in Six Flags. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, awesome. that was awesome. <laughs> um, and they had a, they had a Batman Returns stunt show. Um, but anyway, it would have been weird to me if then DC was in a different, it's using the word theme park for Six Flags is stretching the term. Park, <laughs> yes. You know but it would have been weird. Anyway, Chris knew this. I actually did not know that there was all, almost a DC land in the Islands of Adventure. Eduardo, I have to ask you what you would have thought of the DC superhero island. It would have been so strange. I've said it before, but when I was younger, I was definitely much more of a DC kid. I grew up watching the Justice League animated series. I grew up watching the Batman animated series, Static Shock, a lot of fun DC properties. I'm trying to like piece together what would be what. We, you wrote in the notes here that there was a day, there was a ride where guests would visit the Daily Planet in Metropolis. Uh -huh become reporters, and then get caught up in a Superman adventure, which sounds very similar to what happened uh -huh. in the Spider-Man attraction. Uh-huh. Um, I, yeah. Yep. I feel like I've heard talk that, that they also considered a Batman ride through Gotham that might they, have been so similar yes, to and, and I should have sent this to Eduardo, and I didn't think about it. I am trying to find the concept art for this Batman ride because... Man, Eduardo, you're going to wish it existed. Is it the um, one that's was, in the, the notes? Uh, is the Batman ride in the notes? Hold on. Yeah, you put one in here. I'm seeing it here. It looks okay. insane. Yeah, it was. It's like a, it's like a dueling, suspended, like, like the it's a, it's a coaster and it's suspended, but it looks like like rocket ship pods. Yeah, it's, yeah, and like it's supposed own, to be you're in your own little bat wing. If I remember correctly. Some people would board in Joker's warehouse, funhouse, and some people would board in the Batcave. And so some people would be on Joker vehicles and some people would be on Batman vehicles. It's All right. something like I, that. I have found on ThemeParkUniversity.com, okay. 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 they have an entire series, The Islands of Adventure That Never Was. And part one is The Batwing. Okay. Uh, yeah, it says choose sides in the battle to control Gotham City. <laughs> Yeah, so it looks like uh, you. Oh, you could choose to ride either in Batman's Batwing or the Penguins. Oh, Penguin. Okay. Penguin. Okay. Okay. Uh, That's so cool. Because this was around the time Batman Returns was was out, so Penguin was the uh, villain du jour. Uh huh. So yeah, I will. I will send this yeah. link uh, to y'all. So and Eduardo, look over that. Um. Anyway, none of this happened. The reason none of this happened is funny in hindsight, although a lot of us are prob uh, probably almost anyone listening is old enough to remember when this wasn't a crazy concept. The reason they couldn't get DC is because the DC license was too expensive for them. So they settled for the significantly cheaper Marvel license, which is, I remember when that was a thing, but saying that now is just mind blowing, but yeah. Because this uh, is around the time that Marvel 
nearly went or did go yep. bankrupt, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. This they, was a bad time. They declared bankruptcy. They stepped out of the office and shouted that. And... Uh, Eduardo already mentioned this, but yes, the there was going to be a Daily Planet. You'd, you'd go to the Daily Planet. You'd become reporters and go. The ride system was not the same, but yes, it was. In, that's important to remember that concept. Uh, so in 1994, they secured a deal with Marvel uh, that granted Universal, and, and there's a few particulars in it, but it grants Universal full rights to use a list of Marvel characters, not all Marvel characters. They have to agree to which Marvel characters, but a list of Marvel characters in there in any theme parks east of the Mississippi. Uh, fun fact, this is so um, so stringent that when the Avengers was coming out, Walt Disney World put Avengers uh, stickers on the outside of one of their monorails to advertise the movie, and that monorail could not go on the monorail track that passed through Epcot because that would be some of those characters, such as Captain America, in a theme park, and that was not allowed in this yeah. uh, contract. So I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh-huh. uh, some of the particulars of the contract, it's really really like specific it's about like simulated attractions within yes. 90 miles of orlando yep that's correct um, uh-huh. or east of the mississippi yep. and the yes th- i think that's why um the the virtual reality avengers experience uh with the void never happened at downtown disney or disney springs that makes in sense. florida yes. uh, because it might have been too close to a simulated attraction yeah it uh even, even better do you remember okay so disney likes to promote their movies in their parks by putting short previews in their theaters. They did that for Guardians of the Galaxy. They were not allowed to call it a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. It was from the studio that brought you these other superhero movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the theater in Disneyland, there were some in-theater effects of like lasers and like the seats vibrated. They could not do that in Orlando because it would have been a simulated Marvel attraction. Yep. Now, I think they have figured out that they can do Guardians of the Galaxy in Florida because... Universal has not used any Guardians Correct. of the Galaxy characters. So that's what it is, is it's an end. They call them kind families of, of characters. characters. Right, correct. They can't, so like, and it, and it actually says in here, it says, somewhere it says, E.G., the Avengers, the Fantastic Four. Um, so Universal has to agree with Marvel that, okay, we're going to use this character. That's part of our agreement. And so they used Spider-Man and the X-Men and, um, and the Fantastic Four. But no one cared about the Guardians of the Galaxy. So then once they suddenly had a successful movie, it was a, you know, sort of a, ha-ha, we're going to use Guardians of the Galaxy. It's that's the really one what thing Disney can get away with. Right, Florida. that's really what it is. It's not, that Universal can, it's not that Universal owns the rights to all Marvel characters. It's that Universal, if they agree to use a Marvel or get an agreement to use a Marvel character, no one else can use it under this contract. People like to make up what's in this contract, which I think is funny oh, because you can find it in a 30-second Google search. Three-second Google search. Yeah, like the, the actual yeah. verbatim contract yes. is public knowledge. Yeah, I put in but the show notes. Everyone's like, I, I heard that it expires yes, I, in 2025. Now, I'm not going to pretend I understand the entire contract because I'm not Eduardo's wife, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's out there. You don't have to just make up what it says. Yeah. Um, anyway, the point is that gave Universal the rights to use Marvel. Uh, and when they started building Islands of Adventure, they decided there was going to be a Marvel superhero island. Um, it would be anchored by a Spider-Man attraction. Uh, the Spider-Man attraction was going to be an Omnimover. So Spider-Man Omnimover, we're really hitting my nerd sweet spot right here. For those of you that don't that don't know, who are listening to this podcast, 
best way to describe an Omnimover attraction is like a bike chain, um, where each of the bike links is a ride vehicle, and they're all connected, and a conveyance system, in the case of a bike chain, a gear, engines, in, or, or motors in the case of an Omnimover attraction, moves the whole chain together. They all move at the same speed, all the, at the same time, and they're always moving, hence the term Omnimover. Uh, if you need to visualize it, if you've been to a theme, if you've been to either Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom in Florida, Haunted Mansion is probably the most iconic Omnimover attraction. Um, but it's it's basically that idea, and so that's what they were going to do. They were going to build an Omnimover, um, but using 4D technology in the Omnimover to kind of um, add add to it. The chief uh, the chief director for the attraction, Gary Goddard, um, who his background was in. Um, film and television, but he was brought on to design attractions for uh, Universal. Now, what he said about using the Omnimover system was, uh, it's interesting when you're developing concepts for a major new attraction, the concepts of a 3D or 4D ride had never been done, so I knew going in there would be pushback on technologies, budgets, etc. By the way, for those who aren't nerds about this stuff, when they talk about 4D, they're talking about not only 3D, like three-dimensional images, but also your other senses having things that you can smell, that you can feel like splashes of water, gushes, rushes of air, that sort of thing. Uh, so initially we suggested an Omnimover, which is much cheaper uh, than moving simulators, uh, which not only provided high capacity, but if you know an Omnimover system, we have maximum control over the writer's point of view. We can essentially spin the viewer in the 3D focal range we want to or choose to, then speed, spin the writer out of that focal range. Uh, my goal at this point was to get the concept of a 3D, 4D ride for Spider-Man approved. To achieve that, I had to, achieve, I had to have enough of an idea of how we would achieve 3D images with a movie ride system and without spending hundreds of millions of dollars doing it. So this concept got us the go-ahead. Ultimately, ultimately, we upgraded the idea of a moving simulator, of course. This helped to the basic concept approved, to get the basic concept approved so that we could continue developing it. Uh, and that, by the way, directly comes from the man's Facebook on a post he made, which was interesting to find. Hmm. Um, and so the idea was they didn't know what they were going to do, but they wanted to control how you saw things in Spider-Man's New York City. They're going to use the Omnimover for that. But the whole time they knew it doesn't necessarily have to be an Omnimover. This is just something the executives will buy off on. And then if we come up with something better, we'll do better. The next year they came up with something better because the next year was a major revolution. So one year later, now we're in 1995. Um, a major revolution in the theme park business industry was the Disneyland opening of Indiana Jones Adventure of uh, Indiana Jones Adventure Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Uh, and this attraction, its conveyance is basically like a slot car. Um, there's a motor under uh, under the floor, and then the ride vehicle moves, and they can move you through show scenes like in a traditional dark ride. You know, not that much fancier than what you'd see in say a uh, like a, a carnival, but what they did made the Indiana Jones adventure crazy is they basically then put a, like a flight simulator on top of that ride vehicle. It's, eh. so if you think of like a flight simulator and they use flight simulator technology to make the attraction Star Tours at Disneyland, um, they took that same concept of Star Tours and that flight simulator and miniaturized it and put it on top of this. So the guests are sitting on seats. The seats are on top of six pistons that move you in whatever direction they want to, to simulate motion. And then that whole thing moves forward through the ride, or backwards, through the ride the whole time. So they're able to simulate all sorts of different movement. Uh, that was a crazy, crazy innovation in theme park technology. And Universal looked at that and said, we need to use this. We need to build a ride that has this concept. And so they took that to Spider-Man. 
Um, they brought in a company that designed undersea rovers, like literally rovers to drive around in the sea, and said, hey, invent something like this. And they patented their own system that's not exactly the same, but it's basically six ranges of movement using pistons on top of a conveyance system. And then took it one step more. They said, while we're doing that, let's put the pistons that the guests are sitting on top of, let's put that on a 360-degree turntable. And so now what they can do is they can move you in any direction while you move through physical show scenes and spin you around and change your movement, change your direction like they were talking about with that Omniover, um, cause spin effects. Uh, so now we've got something really, really, really fancy and cool. And a major part of what makes this attraction so great is that that's an incredibly innovative ride system that has barely been used since, which I think is kind of a crime. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been used really only in one other attraction since. Well, and that's... I was going to bring yeah. this up. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to bring this up because I've never noticed this parallel between these two attractions. Uh -huh. And I think one of the big problems with them not making more of this is that just because you're using the the same ride system does not make a better attraction. And right. that goes for both of these attractions. Uh -huh. uh, Indiana Jones, uh, there was a version yeah. of that attraction that was built here in Florida in Animal Kingdom. It's called It was called Journey to Extinction originally. It is now called Dinosaur. Um, huh. Or countdown to extinction. Countdown, yeah, yes. count, yeah, yeah countdown to extinction. I, I got it confused with journey to imagination. Uh, mm -hmm. That'd be a fun crossover. Um, <laughs> oh, I'd write it. <laughs> uh, countdown to extinction. That's now called dinosaur, and it is functionally the same attraction. If I am not correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, it uses a lot of the same visual cues. The track is almost exactly the same. Correct. Yep. Um, and that is the same with Spider Man and the other attraction that Universal. Uh, attempted to use the same ride system for the Transformers ride. Transformers the Ride 3D. <laughs> it's a terrible name. That ride is also, it's crazy because these rides, they're, they're, they're so good and the rides that are built after them are almost the same ride, but they are so significantly worse. Right. And it's a lot of it is yep. for the same reasons. It's a lack of right. clarity. It right. is, uh, uh, the source material isn't, isn't as compelling. Yep. A lot of the same problems were mirrored in these and that's right. probably why you don't see more of them. Yeah, Spider-Man. There's only one other ride I can think of that uses that ride system. I don't know. Maybe you're not familiar with this one. Curse of Dark Castle at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Which really? unfortunately no longer exists. Uh, it opened in 2005. And I've closed heard of in that 2017. Ride, I must have ridden it in 2005 or 2006 because I went there on a marching band field trip. We went to Virginia Beach. Wow. And we went to Busch Gardens for one day. And uh, yeah, it was... You're escaping from a vampire's castle. Okay. Uh, the CGI wasn't great. Uh, it wasn't nearly as good as Spider-Man, but it was like, okay, I see what they're going for here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. Di dinosaurs got... So what makes Spider-Man great, and we'll get into this, is you go through and you see things. You're going through this whole fleshed-out world. Whereas in Dinosaur and, and Indiana Jones, it's the same thing. Big Indiana Jones has this moment where you round a corner and you start crossing this bridge and you just see this massive temple with stuff mm -hmm. to see everywhere and it's lit up and it's and dinosaur which now what, what i will say is when dinosaur first opened it has a bunch of effects that don't even work anymore uh yeah. and it was a better attraction than it is now yeah, but they toned down the actual yes. shaking and stuff too yeah eduardo i don't know if you know like the carnotaurus used to chase you like chase you that was and that was cool but so, what you're getting to is mostly dinosaurs in the dark and like dark and then here's a spotlight on a dinosaur dark here's a spotlight on a dinosaur and Transformers is kind of dark. All right, now sit and watch this 3D uh, Michael Bay movie. 
which will slow you down for some reason, even though you're supposed to actually use <laughs> Thank you! That is my biggest problem with that Whereas ride, we'll is that into, slow motion shouldn't exist. Right. We'll get into this. Spider-Man has this revolutionary ride system, but they also understood that's not enough. We need this revolutionary ride system, and we need to take you through something cool while we do it. And that's what they did with this. Um, Side note, by the way, uh, just in case anyone listening uh, subscribes to these myths, there's a popular story um, that these, this ride system was designed by Walt Disney Imagineering for a Disney attraction and was then pilfered when Imagineers were fired in the uh, wake of the Euro Disney disaster. And so this could have been a Disney ride, but now it's not. That's not, that's not accurate. Uh, a bunch of Imagineers did go to Universal after Euro Disney, um, but the the... the the documentation and the invention of this ride system is basically all public knowledge. It's not like some sort of clandestine, wow, they stole it. It's who created it and the companies that designed it is all out there. So it's not... I'm going to say when it, yeah. whenever Universal does something good or revolutionary, yes. everyone's always like, oh, Disney right. was going to do that. Right, yes. Um, also, almost any theme park story a person tells you is probably a lie. So uh, <laughs> That's also true. It, it's better just to err on the, the, the side of, that's a lie. Um, anyway, Islands of Adventure opened in 1999. Uh, Jurassic Park, the ride, was supposed to be the flagship attraction of the park. Um, and it, it, it's right there in the center when you walk into the, the kind of the opening vista of the park, you see it. Uh, but uh, The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man was the thing that blew minds. Um, and I can remember, because uh, I was enough of a theme park nerd back then to remember people talking about, this is the ride. Like, this is the future of theme parks. Uh, to this day, it's still considered a crowning achievement in theme park design. Um, I know very few people that do not consider it, even if it's not their favorite, they kind of objectively say, yeah, it's the best designed attraction there. Um, it, it's, it is a, uh, still a highly, highly regarded, very important part of theme park history. Um, uh, should, should we mention, you might have been going to say this, but no. uh, the lead on that project was uh, a man named Scott Trowbridge who Ooh. later on was hired by Disney and became one of the creative leads for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I uh, didn't know that. I legitimately didn't, didn't know that. You I didn't met know Scott Talbridge and I didn't know that. <laughs> I assumed you knew this. No. Seeing, seeing as, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, what has been, has anything come close to Spider-Man? And I think there's one ride that has happened. And what's the common link between those rides? It's Scott Trowbridge. You're sad you didn't get to talk to him about Spider-Man now, aren't you? Imploded. <laughs> I had other things to talk to him about. I can't go down That's that fair. road. That's fair. <laughs> um, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, also, Spider-Man also exists in Universal Japan. Uh, that's, yes. that's, that's really all I've got. I don't know if you guys have anything. Well, and the ride was, uh, I, I say recently refreshed, but uh, mm-hmm. 20... A few years ago. Uh, when was oh, it? that recently? Yeah, it was pretty recently uh, where they refreshed the ride, refreshed all the graphics in the ride. So I remember when they did a refresh of the, they did a refresh of the animations early in my, when I first got an annual pass, and that would have been... 2012. Much longer ago. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say about 2013. I was going to say, I thought it was when I was still yeah. down there. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know if there may have been another one since then. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it used to have basically the animated... Um, animated series was what they looked like. Yep. Yeah. And just, it was just, just what they looked like in the pre-show. Yeah, it was 1999 computer animation versus yeah. 2012 computer yes. animation. Yeah. Uh, and that, as you know, that's a huge difference. Right. Yes. It's a very large technological leap. Yeah. So, 
we're going to take you through and treat this like a movie. We're going to take you through the experience of riding this attraction. So we begin our adventure entering the Daily Bugle for a tour. The props oh, should and- we uh, real quickly, I'm sorry, uh-huh. just just briefly talk about Marvel Superhero Island, just kind of sure. like the whole aesthetic sure. of that. Planet. Set, just set the stage. Chris. So Marvel. So we were going to get theme there, park design. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, go we ahead. Gonna, I'm, well, I'm yeah, sorry. we were going to yeah. get there literally just one <laughs> second, but go ahead. Oh, just that Marvel Superhero Island comes from a, a different era of theme park designs. Everyone always talks about the immersion of like making you feel like you're in a place like they talk about like Diagon Alley mm-hmm. at Universal Studios, uh, which is like you're walking into the Harry Potter books or movies, Galaxy's Edge at Disney, things mm-hmm. like that. Marvel Superhero Island, the aesthetic is 100% 90s comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know the colors are very flat, but I I like that. But but it's like very much this building is this color, and you know splashes of color here and there, and lots of big cardboard uh, cutouts of like the superheroes all around, and you can meet the superheroes as well. Uh, so so that's kind of what everything around Spider Man looks like. So I'll not interrupt anymore, probably, no. and let you talk. <laughs> so the props and items in the office are left a drab monotone gray emulating the low detailed backgrounds of classic comic books uh okay. this mirrors a lot of what is going along with the land right so the land is uh-huh. lots of neon on top of what looks like just regular buildings i think maybe the exception being the the area right near dr doom's fearfall that one's got yes. a, that one's got a little bit more a little bit more character to it because it looks like a, a dr doom's fearfall is a drop tower attraction and it's got a little bit more of a factory um aesthetic i think now robbie correct me if i'm wrong you had brought this up a little while ago i don't know if you're comfortable talking about it on the podcast if not future chris delete this um mm-hmm. but you were mentioning that there were some folks that you work with that don't necessarily view spider-man as that great of an attraction. And I think part of that, in my opinion, has to do with the, the charm of the nineties, right? When I ride this Absolutely. ride, when I go to Marvel superhero Island, it's the nineties, man. There are all of these, yeah. like the, the, it sounds weird, but the fonts that they use look like the nineties, the colors that they use look like the nineties, the, just the way things are, it's all the nineties. And if you yeah. don't have a reverence for that, you're not going to care about that area nearly as much. So, yeah, I agree. Um, one thing I'll say, though, you, might, you may well be on to something, but one thing I'll say is I, I exactly what Sadler was just saying, I understand what they're going for in that land, and also that land is the comic books I read when I was a kid. Like, that is very specifically my wheelhouse of when I was reading comic books uh, most rapidly. And yet it, I am more of a lived-in um, theme park location. I'm more of an uh, Animal Kingdom's Asia than Epcot's Italy person. Um, but, uh, and now I'm getting really nerdy. That's that said, I still, that still doesn't stop me from just being completely immersed in Spider-Man. I'm with you on it being timeless. I, I just, I, yes, I know a bunch of people. I was blindsided recently by a bunch of people being shocked that I thought this was a great attraction when I was until that conversation under the assumption that literally everyone thought this was a great attraction. So, (laughs) um, but they're, there are folks that are younger than us, and so maybe they're, you're right, maybe there's a generational thing here, but yeah. Yeah, I think personally to me, I find it timeless, but I find that maybe it might be some bias. There might be some bias associated with it similarly to you. A lot of my comic book knowledge and stuff mm-hmm. comes from that era. Uh, 
Spider-Man the Animated Series, as I brought up many times on this show, was very informative of my younger years, so I've mm-hmm. got a specific love for that attraction. I do think the attraction is just objectively good, but there might be some non-implicit bias in that. Yeah. Just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I feel like if this attraction was any other fictional uh, or even an original an original narrative or any other sort of fictional property, I think I'd still think it's a great attraction. I wouldn't love it the way I do because it's Spider-Man, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think you have a good point and I'm not sure how I can argue against it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the, uh, I don't know, it feels like a slice of time. And it's so weird because when the, obviously when the attraction opened, when that area opened, it was very much part of the times that were happening, right? Like that, that, Mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like opening Frontierland, right? It wasn't, mm-hmm. let's do a 90s area. It's like, let's do what's going on right now. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is, it, it's like a time capsule. Um, and so it's kind of cool to go there now, especially because in that same park, you have some of the best looking, most immersive areas combined with Marvel's Superhero Island, which is, you know... Mm-hmm. There are like superheroes plastered on the walls everywhere doing like mm-hmm. fun poses. And then it says, you know, like comics and like, you know, food that is the Fantastic Four Cafe and all this like mm-hmm. weird looking stuff. And it all seems like all of the uh, face characters there all look so weird because they're meant mm-hmm. to look like the comic versions of their characters. But obviously, if you do it exactly as they're doing it, it makes it look really weird because. They've got these like really bright colored clothes and wigs and, and like, yeah. not flattering at all. Too. No <laughs> the fit of those yeah. costumes is yeah. not good. <laughs> They're like the kind of costumes that like come with muscles. Yeah, uh-huh. they look like Party City costumes. <laughs> yeah. some of them. But like, I gotta I've... give him props for having the comic book Green Goblin walking around I, yes. and talking and all that. That's what I was sitting here thinking. I love the Green Goblin there. I love the Green Goblin there. I think all of that is super cool, but I do think we like it more because whether we all like it or not, we're old. And I don't yeah. think young <laughs> yeah. people like it as much as we do. And I think, Clearly. unfortunately, that area is going to get phased out eventually because... As we get older, I don't think people are going to like it as much as we do. I I could see them refreshing it because there's nothing keeping them from refreshing it. It's not like Disney can say, you can't do this. They might say you can't use the movie versions of the characters. But, you know, if they go, they could go for a more realistic aesthetic throughout the land and still keep the major attractions. I kind of feel like they're just sitting back and, you know, doing okay with the fact that the Hulk is the whole incredible Hulk coaster is still one of the most popular rides sure. in the park. Mm-hmm. And then Spider-Man being as popular as it is. And even though the land isn't themed after the kind of Marvel that is popular right now, I think a lot of people still go there and spend money and are excited about it be- just because it's Marvel, even if it's not their Marvel. So I feel like Universal is able to kind of rest on their laurels a little bit with it and not have to make changes to it even though in my opinion and i'll talk about this more a little later i think it's a little dated um and could use a refresh but i apologize everyone i was informed by my uh uh wife who is several years younger than me that she thought everyone liked that land ironically because of how bad it was (laughs) 
So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. Which hurts real bad. <laughs> wow. So maybe I'm onto something. <laughs> <laughs> That that hurt. Uh, yeah, that one hurt. Uh, that, was, that one was personal. She's out of line, but she's she might be right. <laughs> so as we tour the offices, Editor-in-Chief J. Jonah Jameson tells us about the Beagle's new high-tech news van, The Scoop. Deeper in the offices, news reports talk about the sinister syndicate led by Dr. Octopus, escaping from prison and using an experimental gravity gun to steal the entire Statue of Liberty. <laughs> I mean, this is a comic book plot. I love it so much. It's so good because it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Give us the city. What does that even mean? (laughs) Or we'll destroy the Statue of Liberty. That's one of the strengths of the ride is just how outlandish it is. Like, you almost don't even really need to know some of this. This is, to me, what we're talking about now is like, the deep lore of the attraction because to really understand what's happening, you don't need to know any of this. You go in, there's a gravity gun, you fight some bad guys and then you leave. Like, you know, Spider-Man saves the day. This is the like, this is the deep stuff here. These are deep cuts. (laughs) Um, I looked up and let me know when you want me to share this, but I have the cast list of all the actors, the voice actors. Oh yeah, go ahead. uh, uh, So uh, Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson are both played by Chris Edgerly. Most of these are, are voice actors. Uh, Stanley is the ride announcer, of course. And Stanley oh. actually has several cameos throughout oh, the oh. ride, which is fun. Uh, here's where I think... Okay, so um, I'm not familiar with this person, unfortunately. Candy Milo is Scream. Scream is one of the symbiotes. Uh-huh. Here's where I think it gets interesting. Dr. Octopus is played by Roger Bumpus. Roger Bumpus also plays another famous uh, tentacled character, Squidward. Oh, Okay. Hi- Hydro Man is played by Bill Fagerbaki. Bill Fagerbaki is Patrick on SpongeBob SquarePants. What? Okay. Uh, Electro is played by Jim Wise. You might know him as the coach on Even Stevens. Or you might not if you're younger than us. <laughs> and another SpongeBob connection. He sang Goofy Goober Rock in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, Weird. Candy Milo, by the way, is Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and then Hobgoblin is played by Pat Fraley. Uh, I know Pat Fraley from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Krang. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I hear it. I hear it. You hear it? Yeah. I hear Once it. You hear it you're like, okay. Anyway, yeah. So that that is your that is your voice cast for uh, Spider Man: The Amazing okay. Adventures of Spider Man. With all the Beagles reporters gone, Jameson hires us to be reporters on the spot and puts us in the scoop equipped with night vision goggles to go out and report on the syndicate. Um, and we should probably talk a little bit maybe before, um, before this, talk a little bit about the ride vehicle itself, kind of what it looks like. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but it looks like a, yeah. How would you even explain what it looks like? I'm, I'm like, let's talk about what it looks like. How do you yeah. even explain that? It's blue. Uh, it's blue. Uh-huh. It looks like a weird looking car, but also doesn't. It has a big gullwing door. Sort of. Well, not really gullwing, I guess, but like it, it closes over you. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, even... I don't know how to describe how Google it looks. Google the vehicle. Google the scoop. I'm... Yeah. He's it's like a... Rows of four. <laughs> it's like an overly smooth van 
I don't. <laughs> it fits twelve people. <laughs> it has a really smooth van. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm glad we did that. Uh, great yeah, idea. That's a good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if people who get motion sick on this would appreciate that you're calling it a smooth van. <laughs> Do you think other people that get motion sick on this? Apparently. Oh yes. No, my wife does. Really? Yep. 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 Very badly. I get motion sick on almost everything. Uh, I was actually surprised. We went, the the Lords were here uh, and we went on the new roller coaster for Jurassic Park Velocicoaster. Angela, how was that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's not a fan. I was very... The rest of us loved it. Dizzy. (laughs) The three things that get my... The three things that get cat motion sick the easiest are floating sensations, spinning, and 3D. So, oh, okay. So, right. uh, <laughs> Spider Man, no good yeah. for her. Yeah. <laughs> that is the one yeah. part of Spider Man that gets me a little, a little queasy is when we do the spinning. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, now, Chris, the the attraction itself, it kind of, it's more of, how do I explain this? As we were saying earlier, it's not really about what happens right it's not about you following a series of events it's not about a plot i should say yeah all right so let me just expound on my philosophy of of theme park attractions (laughs) um i'm gonna get in my my soapbox for a minute i love theme parks i love theme park attractions i love rides i love shows whatever uh i i think it's all great um a, a buzzword you hear thrown around a lot when it comes to theme parks is story and it's not wrong for that to be thrown around, I think, because what what sets a roller coaster at Six Flags or or even on another level, like the county fair, what sets that roller coaster apart from something like Space Mountain or Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure trademark or, or Velocicoaster? And it is a story. You know, there is a theme to that ride as opposed to just being this is a roller coaster. This is a roller coaster in space. This is a roller coaster through Velociraptor paddocks. This is a roller coaster where you're riding a motorcycle and taking a class with Hagrid at Hogwarts. You know, so yeah. What's the so story? story. For Hulk? This is a roller coaster where you are the Hulk. <laughs> well, actually, the oh, and they redid it. The story, but it's a it's a gamma test where they uh, Thunderbolt Ross is recruiting uh, people to test out gamma radiation on. Interesting. Uh, to, yeah, and I, I didn't know he, they redid it because it made no sense before. Yeah, so that's fine. Yeah, the old storyline, quote unquote, was that Bruce Banner had developed something that might cure his Hulkness, uh, and then it didn't, and then a roller coaster happens. Uh, but again, there's some light theming there. Hulk is more along the lines of like the Batman ride at Six Flags yeah. when it comes to theme slash story or whatever. But anyway, I think what happens is a lot of people hear story and they think, oh, that means plot, beginning, middle, and end. And while that is not necessarily a bad thing in a, in a ride, and I think Spider-Man has that, I don't think that is necessarily what makes it. Not every ride has a plot. And if you try to make a ride have a plot that didn't have one, it, it doesn't work. Uh, you hear a lot people always talk about, oh, Haunted Mansion has this great three-act structure. What if I told you that was an accident? <laughs> what if I told you that is not how they were thinking when they designed it? Um, you tell them, because I can't. Certainly not a beginning, middle, and end. Um, I mean, it does break down into that quite nicely, but I don't think that when 
Exitensio wrote the script for it, he was thinking three acts because I have to make it like a movie. Story to me is in a theme park, the experience. It's the setting, it's the characters, maybe it's the plot, but it's not necessarily the plot. And again, I'm not saying that any ride with a plot is bad because uh, if I were to give you my top five theme park attractions, uh, you know, at least three or four of them would have what I would call plots. But that's not necessarily what makes them great. All that to say, I love the story and the writing in this ride. And I think it captures the Spider-Man feeling really, really well. I think that um, it starts in the queue. We've talked about how there's the queue videos uh, that are playing in all the different rooms. And uh, I will tell this story, even though some of you have heard it before, because I told it while we were standing in line for the ride. But the very first time I wrote it, back in like 2000, um, I was there with my family. (laughs) We got stuck in this room where Dr. Octopus keeps interrupting the news program to to threaten New York and make his demands about give us the city or we will destroy your precious Lady Liberty. And this is one part where he like, was like, let me show you a demonstration of our power. And he uses his gravity gun to lift up a train car into the air. And then he shouts, what goes up must come down. And he drops it. We got stuck in that room because the ride broke down. There's not a very long video loop in that room because you're not supposed to be in that room for very long. So we heard that scene probably about five or six times. That being said, the writing stuck with me, right? Uh, And I think the character of Spider-Man that you see throughout the ride is a really good take on Spider-Man. He's quipping uh, the whole way through. Uh, One kind of underappreciated moment, I think, is that there is exactly one point in the entire ride where Spider-Man doesn't seem like he has it under control. And that is when it looks like you are about to die. That's when he gets serious. And he's like, no. And he like jumps over and then he saves you. And then he's back to quipping. And I think that's Spider-Man. You know, he's quipping and quipping and quipping. I have to stop this bad thing. Okay, I can I can tell jokes again. And and I think throughout the whole thing, they do a really good job of that. The the different supervillains, even if you're not familiar with them, you, you kind of get the sense of them uh, throughout the ride. It's just a lot of fun. Compare it to, and I'm not the first to make this comparison, certainly. Uh, something like Harry Potter, the Forbidden Journey. Uh, if anyone has ever been there, that's a ride through Hogwarts. And it is an astounding technical achievement. It's a really, really awesome ride. Really cool. But the <laughs> the writing in it just is not on Spider-Man's level. Uh, the dialogue is very much got to get to the next scene, got to get to the next scene. Uh, there's almost no real character to any of the dialogue. Uh, which is a shame because they got the cast of the movie back for it. Like the original cast is all there and they have them saying things like Harry saying, where have you been? Oh, I was getting attacked by spiders and you were nowhere to help me. So thanks for nothing. Uh, You know, I've only seen that scene once because (laughs) I close my eyes every subsequent time. (laughs) I mean, I don't blame you. Those spiders are terrifying. They are scary, but like I said, the ride, like I said, it's a brilliant attraction. I love it. But one thing that holds it back is that, you know, it's just very much everything that's happening to you. They, it's like they put no care into, like, making the characters seem like the characters in the ride itself. Whereas Spider-Man, if you took away the if you took away all the ride elements of Forbidden Journey, you'd get a really boring Harry Potter thing 
where every once in a while something exciting happens. If you took away the ride portion of Spider-Man, you'd get a fun Spider-Man, like, five-minute cartoon. And and I think that's one of the reasons that that ride really sticks to landing is because, like, everything about it is done very well. It's not just an impressive ride system. It's an impressive ride system that's put to use in a fun, unique, and uniquely Spider-Man experience. Well, and the Q video, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the inspiration for it all come from the Spider-Man animated series. That Q video is, it's the series. It is the same art style. It's the same voice Absolutely. cast. It's the same, yep. it's the same thing. It's not the same voice cast, but, uh, or at least, at least Spider-Man is different. I don't okay. know about the rest. Uh, Jameson but... is different because Jameson is Ed Asner in the cartoon. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, but it is so similar. It, it definitely takes a lot of really, really heavy oh, inspiration absolutely. from the animated uh-huh. series, which is fantastic. I don't know if you guys remember, uh, this is kind of off topic, but you were talking about Harry Potter. Do you remember before the Harry Potter, before Diagon Alley opened, they were like showing, uh, it, and it kind of leaked that Universal was looking at a particular ride vehicle for um forbidden journey and it was the arm that does end up becoming yeah. the ride vehicle what it was it had two seats on the end and then it was a mechanical arm and it kind of moved around i saw mm-hmm. that and i was like what in the world is this attraction going to be like i was so yeah. confused and it's crazy i mean this isn't a harry potter and the forbidden journey um podcast right now it could be um but mm-hmm. the way they transformed that kudos to them because i was very lost as to how they were going to turn that into a workable attraction um, yeah, I guess to explain for the listeners, like he said, it's an art. Uh, there are seats that are on this arm that has like a full range of motion, and that arm is built onto a track and it moves through yeah. the sets, moves through the ride. It's incredible. Part of why I like Forbidden Journey is just how crazy it is that they took a robot Kuka arm and put a ride vehicle on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, Angela, what were you saying? Oh, just again for listeners that haven't been on these rides, the reason that so many people compare Forbidden Journey to Spider-Man, you know, when they sound very different on paper because Spider-Man, you're in a car and then Forbidden Journey, you're on an arm and your legs are like dangling and you're just getting thrown around. Um, But the sensation of moving around and the way that they switch between sets and screens and how they immerse you is very similar. So that's why they get compared so often. And then, yeah, Transformers ended up being, like Eduardo said, kind of back to the ride system that was used for Spider-Man, just not done as well. (laughs) I mean, and this is another topic for another time, but, and I know I'm going to get looks, so I'm going to say it and then we're going to move on. Uh, I know what you're going to say. You're wrong. I'm excited. I'm a Gringotts stan, so uh, (laughs) my feelings on that are (laughs) so different from everyone else's uh look i like great I, like I do it every time Gringotts is fine i I've, like the cue I've, I've liked it more since the first time we wrote it because we wrote it like one of the very first days it was open so we were stuck in line for like four hours i think i think more. it was close to five hours that we waited um, in line for insane, that which was insane because it just can... kept breaking down yeah um so that put a sour taste in our mouths you know writing it and then just feeling kind of just, you know, all that pent up like expectations of what it's going to be when you finally get on it. And then you can only really be disappointed after waiting five hours. 
um, unless it's maybe Rise of the Resistance. So, um, but I think because since then we haven't had to wait very long for it whenever we've been on it. I've enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it very much. I, I just, I do think the Forbidden Journey is superior to Escape from Gringotts. Well, Gringotts doesn't have spiders, so I'm into it. Uh, that's fine. Spider-Man does. That's a good point. You know, it's so funny. I have, I can even show you. I'm looking at two pictures of Spider-Man that I have hung up right here. I am a huge Spider-Man fan, and I'm terrified of spiders. I don't like spiders, not even a little bit. How do you think he feels? One bit him. Yeah, right? <laughs> He's made that his entire personality. As we leave the bugle, the scoop slowly winds through alleyways as we see Spider-Man's shadow swing overhead and his signal flash on the wall. For those, another thing we probably have to talk about, back in the day, Spider-Man had, similar to the bat signal, a signal of his own. It it looked like Spider-Man's mask kind of stretched out into a circle, and it was the spider signal. Well, if you remember, we talked about this, I think, a little bit on uh, our Civil War episode I mean, clearly i don't because, remember right. so please because i don't remember well, at all. well because the post credits of civil war peter parker gets the spider that's right that's right, that's right. Iron Man. and if you remember if you stick around after the credits of our podcast you might hear a little bit of clip of the ride we're talking about right now suddenly our civil war podcast not this one i don't know what's happening after this one <laughs> spider-man jumps off a fire escape and lands on the hood of the scoop directly in our faces saying this could be the most dangerous night of my life and yours before com- <laughs> complimenting our glasses and swinging away. Nice shades. Now, Robbie, we, we get introduced to Spider-Man here. He lands on our vehicle and he is perfect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, Universal, this is now becoming a, a theme park podcast, but that's fine. Universal is often criticized and often I think fairly for how much they resort to projections in their attractions. Many of their attractions are literally just staring at a projection. And I, I think that, and, and I know at the very least, Chris agrees with me on this, that that is a weaker attraction. Not necessarily a bad attraction. Mm-hmm. But that is a weaker attraction than something that is a fully realized space that you move through. And within this first show scene, this attraction has already sold you on its fully realized spaces. It is a, a, a projection-driven attraction, but it is not a projection-only attraction. It has... It uses projections to flesh out its three-dimensional three-dimensional physical spaces that you go through. So even just this first scene feels like you're going through a seedy back New York alley. Um, it's got sounds. It's got shadows moving along. It's got you know brick walls and dumpsters and boxes and crates. And then it's got one of the one of the things this attraction does so well, so well that. Not a lot of attractions actually pull off, but you can, when they really, when they let people invest themselves in the attractions, you see it happen, is Spider-Man lands on a fire escape. And when he lands on that fire escape, the ladder on that fire escape, this fire escape is a physical thing. Spider-Man is a projection, but the ladder, the ladder is physical. Spider-Man lands on that ladder and it moves, like it physically moves in real three-dimensional space. Then the projected character jumps using you know 3 onto your ride vehicle and your ride vehicle because of the motion we described earlier bounces and it is i my mind was blown the first time i wrote this just at how well they made me believe suspend my disbelief that this thing that i knew was a cartoon 
had just moved a ladder and moved my ride vehicle. And I'm not, you're not sitting there thinking, wow, that ladder move, your brain is just intuiting, you know, the back of your head is recognizing that that object moved when that dude landed on it. And so it just starts to make you subconsciously believe that what you're seeing is real. And this ride just does that so many other times Mm -hmm. in such an incredible way. And the rest of this ride, you are moving through physical scenes that are fleshed out by a screen. And then you see 3D projections on the screen. But the way this just makes a full experience with the 3D, with the physical sets, and with the incredibly imaginative ride vehicle is just incredible. And it all, you see it in the first few seconds. The, 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 the tone of this attraction and how much it's going to absorb you just happens immediately. I, I'm someone that when I ride a theme park attraction for the first time, I tend to, almost without trying, like start thinking how they do that, how they do that. And sometimes I can recognize it. In a good attraction, I can't necessarily tell how they did what they're doing right away. But Spider-Man was different. When I first rode Spider-Man, I didn't not only, I, not only was I not able to tell how they did what they were doing, I found myself, I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't even sitting there thinking how they do that because it didn't cross my mind. I know this sounds insane, but I mean it did not cross my mind that what happened, what was happening wasn't real and natural because mm-hmm. it's just done so, so well. And it happens immediately. This attraction was the first one to ever have moving vehicles passing by 3D screens right. like that. So um, Scott Trowbridge and Thierry Coop was one of the other designers at Universal Creative at the time. Uh, he might even still be with Universal, I'm not sure. Um, they invented a process called squinching which Universal has the patent for. Uh, because as you are moving, the everything that's happening on the screen has to move, has to make it look like, from your perspective, it's what you'd be seeing. So like if you were standing in front of the screen and just watching it and not in the moving vehicle, it would look really weird because all of a sudden the walls would start tilting and the angles and parallax shifting would happen. It would look very strange. But they figured out a way to make it work where it's like, here's how we need to move the camera in our 3D animation to match what the ride vehicle, what the people in the vehicle should be seeing from their perspective. And you don't think about it when you're riding it, but that was an insanely difficult uh, concept for them to to hammer down. And you know, now they use it in quite a few things, of course, but it's... It's just a simple thing that when you're writing it, you take it for granted, but it really was uh, an incredible achievement that they managed to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Distracted by Spider-Man, we are nearly hit by Stan Lee driving a garbage truck, veering wildly to safety, (laughs) veering wildly to safety ends up uh, putting us directly in the warehouse hideout of the Sinister Six, Sinister Syndicate, excuse me, and the hidden Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Electro, Scream, Hobgoblin, Hydro Man, and Doctor Octopus discuss their plans while we remain hidden. Can I get? A, I'm going to ask all of you a question, and I want to hear uh-huh. your honest take. If the Spider-Man attraction had some kind of overlay, what kind of overlay would you give it? Say for one year, it, we're going to give it an overlay. What kind of overlay do you give it? Do you still? Is it still Spider-Man? Is it a different Spider-Man story? Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, Whoa. that's tough because you'd have to use the same ride path and everything. You'd have to use the so same ride know. path. It'd probably also have to use all of the practical effects similarly. Yeah. 
but it doesn't have to be exactly the same. There are ways to do it. There are ways to kind of do that, uh, do that differently. I think the the ride is it is different enough with the with all of the different uh, points that you are looking at, um, like a, a screen that you could probably figure out a way to add in an overlay to that attraction. Hmm. When uh, Epic Universe opens, it's a Smash Brothers attraction, and the go. heroes are <laughs> saving you from the villains. Oh, okay. Killer clowns from outer space. Ooh. Yes. There you go, Angela. There you go. Yes. Now you're thinking with your noodle. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Knock my block off? <laughs> and then, and that's when the, uh, the turns and instead of the Statue of Liberty's head, it's that guy's head. <laughs> <laughs> Having been knocked off. Everybody go watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. You will not regret it. <laughs> what I had originally thought of was how Haunted Mansion in California gets the Christmas overlay. I was thinking of some sort of... Because I remember... Okay, this is another thing. For those that don't know, years ago, there's there's an event called Halloween Horror Nights. And years ago, for one year, there was a Halloween oh, yeah. Horror Nights that happened in Islands of Adventure that used the Marvel area, and it was a horror-themed carnage area. And that just made me think, what if we did some sort of Halloween overlay with the Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man, but with a Carnage, Venom-type, scary thing mm. inside? Because be I think that ride system kind of lends itself well to a horror attraction. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Well, Bush Gardens certainly thought so. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about overlaying a, a screen attraction at Universal for Halloween, I've always thought that they, during Horror Nights, they need to make the Simpsons ride into a Treehouse of Horror ride. That would be so cool. Yeah, and it'll never happen. <laughs> Which is very sad. Another now yeah. Disney-owned property. <laughs> That yeah. exists at Universal. No, I believe that one actually does have an expiration date, but it's like sometime in like 10 years or something like that. I don't know. What if they just put Back to the Future back in there? Sure. Wouldn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd be, I'd be okay it. with that. Uh, however, while we are initially unseen, Jameson demanding information over the radio is heard by Electro, who gives chase as we try to escape, saying, You're in for a shock. Uh, nice. Electro jumps on the scoop and plays a heavy live cable against it, shaking the entire vehicle, though the scoop resists the charge and launches launches Electro away before the vehicle spins out of the room. Scream attempts to attack but is pulled away by Doc Ock, who begins firing at us with his gravity gun. He misses repeatedly as objects around the room begin floating away. Another just wonderful use of melding the practical effects with what's happening on the screen. Yeah. The, the shooting of the Statue of Liberty's head, which is comically uh-huh. small, uh, floating into uh-huh. the air. <laughs> yeah. We spin wildly out of control into the sewers. When we finally regain control, we are reunited with Spider-Man, who, del- who tells us to go back to the Daily Bugle. The safe moment is short-lived as Hydro-Man rises up behind the wall crawler and punches him out of the way, spraying us with water. Classic Universal. <laughs> They used Hydro-Man in this ride just so they could spray us with water, right? Like, Absolutely. that's why Hydro-Man is in this attraction. I'm okay. pretty sure. Absolutely. Universal's all about spraying you with water in every attraction. <laughs> uh, the scoop drives off and is greeted by Doc Ock, tearing through a wall and brandishing a flamethrower with heat we can feel. Before he can do anything, though, Spider-Man appears behind him and yanks him away. The heat blew my mind when I was a kid. It was such a simple thing, but I was like, oh my gosh, I can feel the fire. How are they doing that? <laughs> As a side note, 
Literally my favorite theme park story, my absolute favorite theme park story was going and riding, since you're talking about heat, I'm going on a tangent, was sure. riding with my wife, taking her on The Mummy for the first time. Okay. I had ridden yeah, it several yeah. times. She had never ridden it. For the record, her reaction was exactly what I was hoping for, hysterical laughter the entire time. <laughs> but And when we got off, she goes, I'm sorry, I thought it was funny. I'm like, no, I love you even more. But, no. The Mummy but, attraction is such a, it's a great B-movie of a ride, yes, and I yeah. adore it. But my absolute favorite moment was we get in this room, and we stop moving, and she goes, she's she's just been laughing her head off, she stops, and she goes, it's hot in here. Oh! feeling <laughs> <laughs> catches on fire. <laughs> the brain fire. <laughs> anyway, back to Spider-Man. <laughs> we make it outside to the Brooklyn Bridge, where Hobgoblin attacks. The goblin throws a pumpkin bomb that makes it right up to our noses before Spider-Man appears and is able to web it away. Spidey clobbers the menace on his glider, but not before he is able to throw one more bomb, which barely misses us, causing an actual explosion on the raptor above. That is my favorite part of the ride. It is one of my top five moments in any theme park attraction. I love it so much. It's really good. so good. And I can't believe Rise of the Resistance managed to top it by doing an even bigger version of it. Yep. What if not Pumpkin Bomb, but TIE Fighter? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really cool. Angela, uh, I, I know this is an, a, a difficult episode to be on, mostly because I don't think we have too many criticisms about this attraction. We're just all talking about how much we like it. Um, and so aside from just your general impressions, you really liked this scene in particular. Yeah. So, um, I mean, really my only thing that comes to mind about this ride, like story is when I first wrote it back in 2011, um, I was working on the Disney college program and I was, you know, by myself in Orlando and, but I'd made some friends, um, at where I was working and, Um, One of my friends and her boyfriend who worked at Universal took me to Universal. I'd never been before. um, And they got me in for free, which is really nice of them. Um, And the most I knew going in that I was like excited about was, I'm going to go see Harry Potter land, you know? And this was when all there was, was Hogsmeade, like Diagon Alley wasn't a thing yet. Um, But I was so excited, but I, Aside from Harry Potter, I knew very little about Universal besides like that there's an ET ride and stuff. Um, but we went to Islands of Adventure first that day, and the first thing we did was Spider Man. And I'll be honest, when I walked through Marvel Superhero Island, my first impressions were kind of like, "Oh, <laughs> this is very bright and colorful." <laughs> um, I love tacky, this ironically. But... <laughs> Yeah, I love this ironically. And now, you know, and I, you know, it was 2011, so not very many MCU movies had come out yet. Like, only Iron Man, I think. You know, I'd seen, like, the X-Men movies, um, but the MCU wasn't a thing yet. And I would never read the comics, like, so I wasn't really familiar with any of these visuals, you know, aside from just what you see here and there in the general zeitgeist um i'd never seen the show you know growing up i didn't watch any superhero shows aside from like the powerpuff girls (laughs) um i mostly watched you know nickelodeon cartoons and stuff and we're going through the queue and there's those clips playing of the the show well 
you know, the animation from that show, um, kind of preparing you for that ride. And it, it all to me was, it was like equally me thinking, wow, this is really dated, <laughs> but also thinking, you know, it was kind of charming. Um, cause like you said, very nineties grew up in the nineties. Like you can't help, but appreciate it and be charmed by it. Um, but I had no clue what was in store for the ride, like no frame of reference for it. And I was just so charmed and thrilled with it. And, you know, it just goes to show like, you don't have to have a love of Marvel going in. You don't have to have a love of comics going in. You don't even have to have a love of Spider-Man going in. The only thing I knew about Spider-Man was what I'd seen in the Sam Raimi movies. So, um, you don't have to love or appreciate or know about any of that to do this ride and think that it's one of the greatest things you've ever experienced. Um, and we'll talk about rankings a little bit later, but this ride still ranks very high for me, even though other properties that I care more about have done their own attractions or their own version that's kind of similar, but I still think this outranks them and that's huge. So, um, you know, and Chris beat me to it. Sheesh. Sorry. About the pumpkin yeah, bomb. I mean, that's the theme of this episode, but go ahead, Andrew. We've all been fighting about the pumpkin bomb. Robbie was talking about it in the group chat beforehand. You know? <laughs> I was just trying to stress you out. Yeah, he was like, I took the pumpkin bomb, so you can't talk about it. <sighs> but that was my first time watching it, you know, being on the ride. That was one of my biggest takeaways was how cool and unexpected that, you know, that effect is because, you know, even though they're moving you very seamlessly through sets and then a screen and then a set again and a screen and your car is kind of bumping up and down, whatever, I didn't actually expect the cartoon character on the screen to do a thing and then a physical thing would happen in front of me in real life. So um, that was so perfect. So yeah, very awesome first impressions and it has held up these last 10 years i think that's pretty cool yeah the pumpkin bomb scene is really cool and this attraction in general just does a really good job of keeping your eyes where they want your eyes to be like you're you're constantly looking at what exactly what it is that they're trying to get you to look at whether it's the floating statue of liberty head whether it's the screen and they they kind of divert your attention uh to the places that they want you to be looking which is you know hallmark of a great attraction that kind of keeps you invested in the story that they're telling um, I think famously, I can say this now since I haven't worked for the company in many years. Um, actually, it's funny because I think the person that told me this is on this attraction is in this podcast, and I don't know if I can say it now. Uh, but I was sitting in a cart at a specific Disney attraction, and they went, "Look, that's a garage door. You will never be able to unsee that now." And. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's true. I saw that I garage exactly door that door one time, and I will never be able to unsee that garage door again. Because the person attract- who told you that is, in fact, on this podcast. <laughs> because because good attractions do a really good job of diverting your attention to where to, to where the action is happening. Right? You shouldn't be looking over here to garage door. You should be looking to the scene. And good attractions keep your attention that way. And that's how Spider Man is. Yeah, I was telling the story, and I was like, "Wait a second! I remember who this was." <laughs> <laughs> do i need to cut that or no 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 no. honestly i don't think there's anything wrong with that story yeah uh, we never said what attraction it was or where the garage door is <laughs> also i can spot garage doors on attractions that i don't work at yeah. so 
Yeah, anyone can find a garage door if you're looking hard. Enough. Well, and that's the thing is like for certain attractions, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to I tend to be kind of objective and like, oh, let's look at this. This isn't how this attraction should be here or whatever. I have a really hard time to do that with, with doing that with Spider Man because I'm so like like uh, enamored with what's going on. I'm so into uh-huh. what's happening that I don't care about anything else. I'm not oh, looking absolutely. for any of that stuff. Absolutely, and I'm going to talk about that some more soon. But like. Everyone here is sitting talking about how wild they were by that pumpkin bomb explosion. And let me tell you, you're not wrong that that pumpkin bomb explosion is really cool. But I wasn't wowed by it the first time because I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't thinking. And this is mm-hmm. this is not a criticism of y'all thinking about it at all. This is me talking about how how much my disbelief was suspended willingly in this attraction because I didn't stop and think, wow, that was a 3D pumpkin bomb projection that became an actual flamethrower above my head in real life i was just thinking like the pumpkin bomb exploded yeah (laughs) oh i i agree i mean i I don't think it that and the latter uh my my two favorite effects in this ride two simple simple effects really it it was i think several rides before i actually like it actually hit me like oh that's really really cool because you're just like, oh yeah, of course, of course, that explosions are going to happen over here. Of course, of course, that ladder's going to move. Spider-Man just landed on it. Well, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because we, I think you could tell on this podcast, are big fans of practical effects to much to the the ire of George Lucas. Um, but we're really big fans of practical effects and specifically in attractions and and Universal, I think famously has trended in the direction of less and less practical effects uh, when Chris and Angelo were here. They had the honor of bringing me on to the Fast and Furious attraction, which, to be fair, I loved. Uh, but similar to the way Bailey ironically loves Marvel Island, I yes. ironically love the Fast and Furious attraction because it is so hilariously awful. It's amazing. You gave me an appreciation of that attraction that I never had before. Same. I will say that. At one point, Ludacris says "roll out," and I mean, what what more are you looking for from an attraction? And then we're all family. <laughs> uh, and so it's kind of unfortunate that that Universal has kind of trended in the other direction. However, the Harry Potter attractions do give me a little hope that they are looking to kind of mix those a little bit more than they have previously. I think so. Yeah. Well, even with um when they redid uh, Jurassic Park into Jurassic World in Hollywood, that has a lot more mixture of practical and uh, CG effects mixed into it. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the new ending of that attraction in Hollywood is very impressive right. with the animatronic IRX and T-Rex fighting. Well, the Yoshi's Island attraction, which I'm not going to say is a great attraction having watched a ride through of it, but the Yoshi's Island attraction is entirely physical moving objects it's that's cool so that that gives me also some hope as well there's definitely a lot of charm there and i think people are kind of seeing that and i think similarly to how we've sort of moved back with movies i think attractions are taking that same step back yes Mm -hmm. yep i agree with that um i think we are going to talk about it at some point when we talk about this but uh a, a new famous attraction uh, yeah. at Galaxy's Edge uses a lot of practical effects mixed yeah. in with their CG effects. 
mm-hmm. to great, great success. And I think, I, I think you can't look at Spider-Man and not think this is a precursor to this attraction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep, I agree. Spider-Man bounces off the scoop and lands on a theater marquee and is attacked by Doc Ock. Realizing he can't hit the wall crawler, Octopus instead blasts the scoop with a gravity gun, causing us to start floating off above the skyscrapers of Manhattan. Yes, Chris? I would like to point out uh, a few things about this scene right here. The theater is called the Excelsior. The movie that's playing is the Clone Saga, and Stanley is walking by. I forgot about the Clone Saga part of it. That's... I, I noticed that the first time I wrote, I'm like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, and I think the building across the street has some reference. There are so many references to Spider-Man history and stories. And like I said, there's like six Stanley cameos Isn't, throughout. He's driving the truck. Um, I might be wrong, but I believe, and listener Kelsey will probably write me and explain and tell me I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure somewhere on the attraction there's a reference to Joe Perry because he wrote the theme song for the Spider-Man. I did and not I, know that. And by Joe Perry, I mean literally the guitarist for Aerosmith, because he wrote the theme song for the animated series. Yeah, I believe there's a Joe Perry reference somewhere here, too. Well, I guess I know what I'm looking for in September. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, gosh, what was it? There's a, there's a, a, a billboard with Iron Man on it uh, for Stark Industries. There's a couple of them, I think, actually. I think there's a, actually a physical one, and then there's a uh, one in one of the scenes one of the screens now robbie uh th- this point and this ride has does a really good job of this but there are a few uh, excuse me parts of this attraction where the all of the practical practical effects around you including and the sort of cg effects that are happening in front of you give you a sensation that you're not actually experiencing but it feels mm-hmm. like you're experiencing and this, combined with another scene, are really great yeah. examples of it. Yeah, so what happens in this ride right now? So what Eduardo just said is you start floating off above the skyscrapers of Manhattan. So if you've never ridden this attraction, what he just said is accurate. You, in your v- your scoop vehicle, begin floating in air up into the skies of New York. You are actually still in a ride vehicle in a theme park attraction that is connected to a track on the floor so in reality you're not floating but you are completely convinced that you are floating off above the skyscraper of new york because this does so many clever things and what so and then you just go floating and 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 there's some flying coming which that was i remember i had seen in promotions that you were swung swinging through the sky with spider-man on this ride and i remember not not thinking well obviously the ride doesn't really do that then i got on the ride and I'm writing, I'm like, obviously, that's not really going to happen. And then it happened. And like mm-hmm. I told you guys, at this point, I was just like, okay, everything in this ride that's happening is actually happening. And so I was very much, at this point, just like, cool, we fly now. I don't know how the ride vehicle flies, but the ride vehicle flies. <laughs> it flies now, it flies now. Um, <laughs> so what's actually happening, stop listening right now if you want to be surprised when you ride the attraction. It, what's actually happening is... You probably should have started listening. You stop in front of a screen. And when you stop in front of that screen, the screen scrolls. And the size of the screen are, are physical uh, well, kind of curtains that look, look like skyscrapers. And so you see the, the, the windows moving, and then, then the, the, the projection starts moving. And so you start rising up against the backdrop of Manhattan and up into the sky. And then that 
ride vehicle I was talking about, you're stationary at this point, but the, the piston system underneath is simulating as though you are floating and going up. And so your eyes combined with the motion you're feeling underneath you makes it feel like you're flying. Then once you reach the top, you start moving again down the ride path, but everything around you looks like a completely different setting. You were on street level, and now then you watch the screen move, and now you are above street level. And all the movement just makes it feel like you're moving. Everything sideways. Yep. And uh-huh. Like... <laughs> uh-huh. So this ride has set its ground rules for you. Like, it has set its rules. Good theme park attractions kind of know that you know how a theme park attraction works. Um, I can think of one effect on Rise of the Resistance that especially does this, but mm-hmm. you know how theme park attractions work. So this ride spends its first two, two-thirds convincing you of, yeah, there's cool effects, but you're on a track moving through a show building. And then all of a sudden, it just does something wild, completely not what you could expect a theme park attraction can do. And it's just, it completely takes you back. And how you do it, how they do it, is just done with like a magic trick. A good theme park attraction is like a magic trick where they have this sleight of hand and they do something and you're like, how did they do that? And if I ever wrote a book on good theme park attraction effects, like this moment right here, we have its own chapter. It would be right after Pepper's Ghost, right before the thing I was mentioning on on Rise of the Resistance. This would have its own chapter because it just does such a good job of making you feel like you have literally just floated up or or it almost makes it feel like there's an elevator, which Transformers does have an elevator. It almost makes it feel like there's an elevator, but there is not an elevator. They just use the screen and the motion base to make you think that you have gone flying. And it is almost like, like... I can sit here and can describe it and it still does not make sense, but it works so perfectly. It's amazing. It... Yeah, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and they actually enhanced that like within the last couple of years a little oh, bit. Oh, did they? They've added now, you can see silhouettes of people on some of the windows in the building as you're going up. Mm-hmm. Just another little tiny thing. They're like, oh, we could do that. And it makes it feel like, yeah, you're going by the, this building where people are living and working or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's it's such a cool effect. And then you're you're really kind of disoriented for the next thirty seconds or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have a moment to think about. Wait, how did they just do this? Because you're so just blown away by the fact that it's happening, and it's mm-hmm. so disorienting. Yeah. Spider-Man attempts to web us down, but is blindsided by the Hobgoblin taking us flying at high speed through the city at the end of a web. Our hero manages to knock the goblin off his glider while kicking Scream off a building and secures us to a radio tower before rescuing us from Hydro Man by baiting Electro into blasting him, again causing a shower. Mm-hmm. Uh, just knock okay. off his left, Guys. but he's enough as he switches our zero gravity effect off, causing the scoop to bounce a couple of times off the top of a skyscraper, then falling to the streets below while Spider-Man knocks out Octopus with a kick to the head. Just before the scoop can crash to the ground, however, it is safely caught in a bouncy hammock of spider webs. We turn to see Spider-Man safely webbing up the Sinister Syndicate while the Statue of Liberty is returned to its place, and Spidey takes a nice on-ride photo of us. As we return... Which you can't actually buy. <laughs> yeah, that's so dumb. Yeah, that's it, weird. That's so it weird. It feels like that that was something that was planned that they never did. Yep. Yeah, yeah obviously we gotta have an on-ride photo in here, and then, like, they never actually did it. Right. Yeah. I, I'm certain that's what happened. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, as we return to the Daily Bugle loading zone, a rock version of the 60s Spider-Man theme plays. And then one of the best gags in the whole ride, uh, Stanley tells us we did a good job, and Spider-Man uses the gravity gun to cause Jonah to float helplessly around his office. A little note by the, uh, by the gun that says, here's that raise you deserve. Oh, right. <laughs> Our lap bars raise, just like the one he deserves, and we exit through the <laughs> gift shop. Clapping. Oh yeah, it's universal ride, so everybody has to clap. <laughs> this ride's incredible. And That's we've so talked good. about, I, t- I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but Chris, this ride, I think for many years, was considered just th- the peak of what an attraction could be. Uh, it really, I mean, it's, it's always got to be in the discussion. And I, I think what, what's incredible about it is that the technology in this ride, this ride is over 20 years old now, it was it 99 that it opened? 99. Yeah. Yep. So it and it was ready, by the way, in I think 96. Like they had it ready fast and then just decided let's test it before the park opens just a lot. Okay. So yeah. Well, yeah. Good, yeah. Good, for, good on them. Yep. Uh, but as far as like technological achievements in theme parks, uh, that there are always a few. Uh, I think you can always name, you can name certain attractions like over the course of theme park history that were like, Wow, this really did something new, uh, and I think the last one before Spider Man would have been the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at then Disney MGM Studios. I think that was the last new attraction that was just like a mind blowing step up from what had come before. And then I think there was Spider Man, and in the twenty plus years since uh, that attraction opened, there have been maybe two or three that have even come close. I, I would say Forbidden Journey is one of them. For I don't put on this, I, I think Spider-Man is better. Um, but certainly as far as like technological leaps forward and doing something that a theme park had never done before, uh, that uh, Forbidden Journey belongs in the conversation. I would guess probably on a simple level, trackless ride vehicles, which Disney had started using a lot of, mostly overseas, with things like Pooh's Honey Hunt at Tokyo Disneyland or Mystic Manor at Hong Kong Disneyland. And then finally in Rise of the Resistance uh, at Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, I guess I should probably, I don't know much about this attraction, but the, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Shanghai is supposed to be another one of those like technological high water marks. But really... That's what I've heard. In the 20 years though, I mean, it's... It, so so rarely does an attraction come along that like you're like oh this is the future right and of attractions i have been on at least i've not been to any of the foreign parks uh i think there's only one that tops what spider-man has done and it's close (laughs) it's close even after 20 years uh it's very close and and i think that's just incredible that spider-man yeah. holds up so well. I think about that a lot, and to me, it's almost more of a tragedy. It feels like from about the 60s to the early 90s, it felt like you didn't go very long before another wow attraction was built. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Splash Mountain was built four years before Tower of Terror, uh, the first Splash Mountain, yeah. um, and the first Tower of Terror. Like, And, and that's, that's an extremely short period of time, but to me, 20 years is a tragically long time to go before. So, so you think about this ride is a very natural evolution of what 
Indiana Jones did, which was two years after Tower of Terror, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then four years later, Universal took the same idea and said, and let's also do some other cool stuff with it, do some 4D tech, put it on a spinner base. Uh, baby, you got a stew going. And, <laughs> and that's really cool. And then we just kind of like said, okay, we're really done advancing theme parks now. And I just, yeah. and okay, Forbidden Journey, maybe. And I'm not going to say Forbidden Journey is a, I don't think Forbidden Journey is a better attraction, but Forbidden Journey at least was another, wow, this is a really cool thing you can do with theme park rides. Mm-hmm. But I just, yeah, I, I mean, you're completely right. And yes, credit to Spider-Man, but also to me, that just, the cynical part of me makes me think that it's because theme parks became so successful we didn't have to try as much yeah. anymore. This ride was universal thinking we've got to try. we got to try to make something that makes people come to this park. And maybe it's because we felt we didn't have to try as hard anymore. But I... I I think it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of management of those companies maybe not caring as much about the theme parks. I mean, if you look at Universal in particular, uh, who owned Universal before Comcast? GE. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that company did not care about theme parks. Uh, Comcast... Yeah, 30 Rock made that joke a lot, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the uh, the president of Comcast, I you know, had really what he wanted was to buy Disney back in the day and he couldn't, but he to his credit was like, "Oh, we we need to compete in the theme park space." And granted, they did Harry Potter before Comcast bought them, or at least the first Harry Potter section, but everything since then has been, you know, Universal's trying again. And Universal trying again, in theory, he's got Disney trying again. If you look at, I mean, I think Galaxy's mm-hmm. Edge, uh, even Pandora, uh, that world of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom. While I like it, I don't love it. Um, that was definitely them trying to answer Harry Potter somewhat uh, to at least from an... Immer- well, here's the thing is I don't necessarily think that Pandora is any more immersive than anything else in Animal Kingdom because Animal Kingdom was always a very immersive park uh, but i digress you know i don't need to go zoo. off on that rant what's Did that you know that it's not a zoo not a zoo, <laughs> not a zoo. <laughs> it is many things <laughs> but it is not a zoo <laughs> shout out to all the 90s kids who remember that commercial um but yeah it, it I, I i agree but for whatever for whatever reason it just seemed like everything halted and now it seems like they're trying again and my one fear that I've had over the past year uh, with, you know, the theme park industry being hurt quite a bit by the pandemic. And I mean, if you look, Disneyland was closed for over a year, which is just unfathomable before this. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it used to be that Disneyland would close and be like, this is only the third time in history Disneyland's ever closed. And then it was closed for a year. And, you know, I hope that you know, as, you know, hopefully things get better. And when things get better, the money kind of starts to flow for theme parks again. And this doesn't, you know, halt any future development for like for the next 10 years, because it's been kind of fun having Disney Universal, especially kind of in an arms race again, of how do we outdo then? Oh, oh, you're going to build Diagon Alley? We're going to build Galaxy's Edge. Oh, you're going to build Galaxy's Edge? We're going to build a new theme park with Super Mario Brothers. And, you know, 
oh, we're going to build a Star Wars hotel where you can LARP. <laughs> and I, I, I've been excited to see what comes next in this uh, this medium that I love. I wonder, yeah, I wonder where we're going next. I think AR is another big one. I think uh, Mario Kart yeah, Mar- yeah. uses AR, augmented reality. Um, supposedly that's really cool. Um, so I'm interested. There are rumors that they're doing a Harry Potter broom attraction that would be virtual reality interesting that reminds me that yeah. makes me think of the magic carpets of aladdin at disney quest yes yes i remember that uh also i actually would prefer they not go in the virtual reality direction too much agreed. of the theme parks because you can do that at home and i think why you've seen them kind of going back to practical effects and with, with some you know projection and screen usage but i i feel like you need to give people an experience that you can't have at home Yep. Uh, which is why it's more interesting to go through the sets of Spider-Man than to sit in a theater and watch Spider-Man and shake around. Did you guys ever do The Void? No, I did not get a chance so to do that. So I did it. I did. It was a Star Wars experience. It's closed now, so apologize. Uh-huh. I'm going to spoil it for you. Uh, but a, no, a lot of the attraction was around you. So you put on the goggles, you start off in a room, and you're in like a transport. You're sitting in a transport, and then there's like a row of blasters, and somebody's like, grab a blaster, trooper, and you reach out to grab a blaster, and there's an actual blaster there. So you're looking through the VR, you see a blaster, and you go out, you grab the blaster. You go into a room that um, has just been um, like, somebody took, you know how they do, um, somebody not like a lightsaber, but took like a, like a laser thing and um cut a hole in a door and you as you're going through the door can feel the hole in the door you can feel the like magma like the melted metal on the ground you can feel a lot of these things around you so it was a lot more immersive than i thought vr could be um at the very end of the attraction you're looking down and you're standing next to a droid and then you take your goggles off and the droid is right there in front of you it's real cool um so uh, if they're gonna do stuff like that I'm into it, but a broom attraction where you just put goggles on and you just kind of do one of these doesn't sound appealing yep. to me. Yeah, that's Disney Quest. Right, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of Disney Quest, yeah. do you guys remember the comic attraction there? Does yes, that not have I the sure same do. vibe as the Marvel Island? Like the same like '90s comic it absolutely aesthetic. Does. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where does this fit in the MCU? <laughs> I left that in there on purpose. <laughs> Uh, we're doing a full episode, Eduardo. We're doing MVPs for some reason. Uh, the MVP of this attraction is uh, whoever sold the rights to, from Marvel to Universal. Thank you for letting us have this attraction. Yeah. Robbie, who's Thanks the MVP for being of the attraction? A financial for you? failure in the 90s. Uh, the MVP is the scoop, and it's, uh, it's six direction motion base, and it's 360 degree spin action. What about you, Chris? I said that one pumpkin bomb, or maybe the latter. <laughs> Angela? The pumpkin bomb. Wow. Once again, Chris over here stealing Angela's thunder. I can't help the order this was written in the notes. Robbie could have tossed it to Angela first. My bad. Uh, Chris, what's your rating of this attraction? I give it 10 masked vigilantes putting themselves above the law out of 10. Uh, Angela, how about you? This time I can be the only one who says it. Ten pumpkin spice bombs out of ten. <laughs> awesome. Ooh, a PSB. Robbie? Uh, I'm going to give it ten Dr. Octopus the Flamethrowers out of ten. 
Eduardo. I give it 10. Trick or treat. Smell my feet. Time to blow you off the street out of 10. <laughs> that sounds like crazy. Which is just before he throws that bomb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so ranking it on your favorite theme park attractions, which we're also going to apparently do. Angela, what number for it is it? Or what number is it for you? And uh, what other ones come before it? You don't have to say everyone, but a few examples of the ones that go before it. Um, this was hard because, you know, there are a lot of attractions out there, past and present. Um, there are at least three. <laughs> so while I love this attraction and think it's, you know, really special and revolutionary, I it still ranks really high when you think of the grand scheme of things of how many attractions there are out there. I had it ranked seventh. I couldn't bring myself to put it above things like Haunted Mansion, Rise of the Resistance, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the Disneyland one, um, Hagrid's Motorbike, uh, Hagrid's Magical Creatures, Motorbike Adventure, TM, uh, Revenge of the Mummy. I think I put a smidge oh. above Spider-Man. That's, wow. That's tricky because it's like personal preference too. You know, like yeah, I love yeah. the thrill of yeah, the one mummy. One of them has and... Brendan Fraser. And so. Right. Mm-hmm. And I love that movie. But um, no coffee. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> so, um, so I have it like beneath stuff like that. Um, but it's just hard. It's apples and oranges, you know, like, cause they're all special and they're all groundbreaking you know especially of their time depending on how old it was you know for different reasons so it's really hard to compare so it's out of all the attractions that exist seven i think is pretty good (laughs) um so that's about where i have it sound husband sound sound (laughs) wife sound wife um i i've got it it's got to be three or four it is definitely the top five uh off the top of my head haunted mansion i think will always be my number one Haunted Mansion is the Citizen Kane of theme park attractions. I've said that before. I will say it again. It is, to me, the greatest attraction of all time um, for its historical significance. And anything that has come after it has taken at least a little bit from the Haunted Mansion, uh, including Spider-Man. I mean, you look at them saying, well, we should make it an Omnimover. Uh, You know, part of it comes from that. I think... Off the top of my head, and I haven't thought too hard about this right now because I, as we all know, I hate ranking things. I think it would be Haunted Mansion, Rise of the Resistance, and then Spider-Man. And again, like I said, it's damn close. Rise of the Resistance is is incredible. So I think it gets the nod over Spider-Man partially because of how much there is to it from cue to ride to ending. Like, it's all part of the experience in a way that is just really impressive. Well, and you might say that Spider-Man wall crawled so that Rise of the Resistance could Skywalker. See what you did there. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, Spider-Man, probably probably number three for me, I think, of all theme park attractions I've ever done. And I've been to a lot of theme parks. (laughs) Uh, uh, Who's next? Robbie. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was chuckling at Angela's because of how many things she was saying that are basically going to be similar to my own feelings. So she are pretty much got to all of it. Um, I will say it's on the top, the absolute top tier of the very best attractions that I think are perfect. Um, so I'll quickly go through that tier because there's only a few attractions on it. And all of these attractions are 
basically tied. This is, so I'm going to rank them, but this is essentially a tie. These are the best attractions. Um, and it's five or seven, depending on how you want to split it up. But um, at five, I'll go with Pirates of the Caribbean and Disneyland. At four, I will go with the Hollywood Tower, the, the uh, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror in mm -hmm. Orlando only. Mm -hmm. um, and then at three, I will put uh, The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man. Again, it's not number one, but it's practically tied with number one and how I feel about it. So this is, you know, kind of like Angela was saying, this is uh, in, in the scheme of all of the attractions in the world, it's basically, it, 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 it's great, even if you don't say it's number one. Uh, my number two is Rise of the Resistance. Um, on both coasts, it's the same ride, so you could count that as two number twos. And then my number one is the Haunted Mansion. Um, and I would actually say it's both Haunted Mansions in both California and Florida. Because while they are not exactly the same, they're close enough to the same that uh, they are um, both belong in the same tier. So uh, the Haunted Mansion is still my favorite attraction, but Spider-Man is third and very close. Eduardo? Well, unlike all of you fake fans... <laughs> the, the real spider stan is here to say it's my number one there it just hits on the just the right amount of nostalgia uh it, it's got the animated series in there for me it is just a, a a class act attraction it just it hits everything for me uh as far as what attraction i was there when it opened i've lived in orlando uh uh, for most of my life, I was born uh, not very far away from Orlando on an island, a little bit off the coast, uh, and I grew up here. I've been here since I was two uh, with a little brief stint in New Hampshire, um, and I've been there for all the big moments and all the theme parks. When everything has opened, I've been there within a month. When this ride, when this whole area opened, when Islands of Adventure opened, I was there. When uh, On the very day that uh, that Hogsmeade opened, I was there because it was mm. my birthday. Um, I waited in line oh. through CityWalk. It was very long. I waited for, I think, about oh. six hours to get into Ooh. Hogsmeade and then another couple of hours to get on to Forbidden Journey. Um, and then we rode that, we ate, and then we left. Uh, it was a miserable time, but uh, <laughs> I get to tell this fun ah. story. Um, so I've been here for a lot of the fun. as a, And, you know, it was long before I ever worked at an attraction, so it was just as, as just kind of a fan. Um, there's just something about this attraction that really, it's just something special. Um, and, you know, I, I reflect on it because I understand that it is very subjective because what I feel for this attraction, I understand there are people that feel that way about the Haunted Mansion, about Pirates of the Caribbean, about some of these attractions that just, there's, there's just something special about the experience that they had on that attraction. And that's something that you get from movies and that, that's something that, uh, that attractions can give you as well. And I think in a different way, um, because you get to experience them more vividly with other people. I think movies, while a social uh, experience that you get to have with people uh, in the theater as you're watching a movie together and experiencing something together is something special. But I think attractions really elevates that, that social experience of really experiencing something together. And for me, this was, I mean, the pumpkin bomb scene alone. I mean, it, 
I look out for it every time, and I wish I could recreate the first time I rode that attraction and had no idea that was going to happen. And just watching the attraction and watching them throw the bomb and it just go, and we go, oh shit, what was that? And just like <laughs> be like half frightened that something is going wrong or something. I don't know. There's just, mm-hmm. it's like lightning in a bottle for me. This is a fun episode. I think we should do more of these. This was. Yeah, I love. I, I love agree. This parks. is extremely let's all go to fun. Disneyland. <laughs> let's all go to yeah, Disneyland. Let's do it. Go to Avengers Campus. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, 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 we have to do, do the other Spider-Man oh, my ride. Goodness. We need to do it. Yes. And then rank the Spider-Man rides. I already know what my ranking is going to be. Haven't even been there is. A, yet, there is but. also. There used to be a third Spider-Man ride. I watched a whole video on this. It was another Adventures of Spider-Man dark ride attraction. Uh, maybe we could do an episode. I'll send I'm you guys in. the videos after the video after this. That sounds. Uh, but it was not a good attraction. Uh, <laughs> okay, sure. so group outing to Disneyland, okay. and we it's just an we'll we'll get several weeks of content because every night we'll just sit down and do a quick podcast on our Avengers Campus thoughts of that day. Right. We could even and do then we'll um, just release those. I haven't even done a Guardians Mission Breakout. We can add that. Oh, I haven't either. There's, yeah. there's a lot to add. It's fun. It's no Tower of Terror, but it's fine. Yeah. Well, of course, they were starting at a disadvantage by having to build it in the California Tower. Fair. Yes. But that's why I didn't care that they repaired it. <laughs> yeah. Or overlaid it, changed it, whatever. Yeah, that's, I was like, as long as they don't touch the Florida one, I'm fine. Right. But I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required. Uh, once again, huge shout-outs to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian and Riley. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assemblyrequired. If you want some to send us some suggestions about some theme park rides you want us to cover, if you want to just talk about Spider-Man or anything uh, in between theme park and Spider-Man and Marvel and beyond, uh, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com is where you can do so. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, it's at assemblycast. You might even interact with our very own social media manager, Angela. Uh, you can follow us all individually. Uh, it's going to be at philkid3 for Robbie. It's going to be at gatorsax2010 for Chris, the underscore peaches for peaches, and at the lady sound for Angela. Uh, I can be found at abcdeduardo1. But that's going to do it for all of us, for myself, for Robbie, Chris, for Angela. We love you 3,000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. What goes up must come down. Interesting. Good job, Team Scoop. You did great. Now when the scoop comes to a stop, carefully raise your left bar and exit the vehicle. Make sure you take all your personal belongings and you can drop off the night vision goggles in the bins provided. Now, I'd better see about getting Mr. Jameson down. See you later. Ride's coming along. The rides are ready to roll out and roll out in style. Hey. All right.